CD5. In the dark night of the hood, stunned and bleeding, Moist shuffled forward, arms outstretched. His hands found the door and ran across it in a vain search for the slot. Eventually they found it a foot above the ground. OK, OK, ram a damn letter in there and get the stupid pantomime over with. But it wasn't a game. This wasn't one of those events where everyone knew that old Harry just had to mouth the right words to be the latest member of the loyal order of chair stuffers. There were people out there taking it seriously. Well, he just had to post a letter through a slot, didn't he? How hard could that... Hold on, hold on. Wasn't one of the men who'd led him down here missing the tips of his fingers on one hand? Suddenly, Moist was angry. It even sheared through the pain from his chin. He didn't have to do this. At least, he didn't have to do it like this. It would be a poor lookout if he wasn't a better player of lay bugger than this bunch of old fools. He straightened up, stifling a groan, and pulled off the hood. There was still darkness all around him, but it was punctuated by the glow from the doors of a dozen or so dark lanterns. Peter, he's taken the hood off, someone shouted. The unfranked man may choose to remain in darkness, said Moist, but the postman loves the light. He pitched the voice right. It was the key to a thousand frauds. You had to sound right, sound like you knew what you were doing, sound like you were in charge. And, while he'd spoken gibberish, it was authentic gibberish. The door of a lantern opened a little wider, and a plaintive voice said, "'Yeah, I can't find that in the book. Where's he supposed to say that?' You had to move quickly, too. Moist wrapped the hood around his hand and levered up the flap of the letterbox. With his other hand, he grabbed a random letter out of the bag, flicked it through the slot, and then pulled his makeshift glove away. It ripped as though cut by shears. "'Postman, what is the third oath?' shouted Groats triumphantly. "'All together, lads! Struth, what do they make these flaps out of? Razor blades!' There was a resentful silence. "'He never had his hood on!' muttered a robed figure. "'Yes, he did. He wrapped it around his hand. "'Tell me where it says he can't do that,' screamed Groat. "'I told you, he's the one we've all been waiting for. "'There's still a final test,' said the worshipful master. "'What final test are you going on about, George Aggie? "'He delivered the mail,' Groat protested. "'Lord Veterinari appointed him postmaster, and he's walked the walk.' "'Veterinari! He's only been around five minutes. "'Who's he to say who's postmaster?' "'Was his father a postman? No. Or his grandfather? "'Look at the men he's been sending. "'You said they were sneaky devils "'who didn't have a drop of post office ink in their blood.' "'I think this one might be able to,' Groat began. "'He can take the ultimate test,' said the worshipful master sternly. "'You know what that is?' "'It'll be murder,' said Groat. "'You can't... "'I ain't telling you again, young Tolly. "'You just shut your mouth. "'Well, Mr Postmaster, "'will you face the postman's greatest challenge?' "'Will you face?' the voice paused for effect, "'and just in case there might be a few bars of portentous music. "'The enemy at the gate! "'Face it, and o'ercome it, if you demand it,' said Moist. "'The fool had called him postmaster. "'It was working. "'Sound as if you're in charge, and they start to believe it. "'Oh, and o'er had been a good touch, too. "'We do! Oh, yes, we do!' chorused the robed postman. "'Groat, a bearded shadow in the gloom, "'took Moist's hand and, to his amazement, shook it. "'Sorry about this, Mr Lipvig,' he said. "'Didn't expect this at all. "'They're cheating, but you'll be fine. "'You just rely on senior postman Groatzer. "'He drew his hand away, "'and Moist felt something small and cold in his palm. "'He closed his fist over it. "'Didn't expect it at all. 
Right, postmaster, said the worshipful master. This is a simple test. All you have to do right is still be standing here on your feet in one minute's time, all right. Run for it, lads. There was a swishing of robes and scurrying of feet and a distant door slammed. Moist was left standing in silent, pigeon-smelling gloom. What other test could there be? He tried to remember all the words on the front of the building. Trolls, dragons, green things with teeth. He opened his hand to see what it was that Grote had slipped him. It looked very much like a whistle. Somewhere in the darkness a door opened and shut again. It was followed by the distant sound of paws moving purposefully. Dogs. Moist turned and ran down the hall to the plinth and scrambled onto it. It wouldn't be much of a problem for large dogs, but at least it would put their heads at kicking height. Then there was a bark, and Moist's face broke into a smile. You only ever needed to hear that bark once. It wasn't a particularly aggressive one, because it was made by a mouth capable of crushing a skull. You didn't need too much extra advertising when you could do that. News got around. This was going to be... Ironic. They'd actually got hold of lip-vixers. Moist waited until he could see the eyes in the lantern light before he said, Schlat! The dogs stopped and stared at Moist. Clearly, they were thinking, Something is wrong here. He sighed and slipped down off the pedestal. Look, he said, placing a hand on each rump and exerting downward pressure. One fact everyone knows is that no female lip-fixers have ever been let out of the country. That keeps the breed price high. Schlat, I said, and every puppy is trained to lip-fixian commands. This is the old country talking boys. Schlat. The dogs sat down instantly. Good boys, said Moist. It was true what people like his grandfather said. Once you got past their ability to bite through a whole leg in one go... They were very nice animals. He cupped his hands and shouted, Gentlemen, it's safe for you to come in now. The postman would be listening, that was certain. They'd be waiting for snarls and screams. The distant door opened. Come forward, snapped Moist. The dogs turned to look at the huddle of approaching postmen. They growled, too, in one long, uninterrupted rumble. Now he could see the mysterious order clearly. They were robed, of course, because you couldn't have a secret order without robes. They had pushed the hoods back now, and each man... Women are always significantly underrepresented in secret orders. Each man was wearing a peaked cap with a bird skeleton wired to it. Now, uh, sir, we knew Tolliver had slipped you the dog whistle, one of them began, looking nervously at the lip vixers. This, said Moist, opening his hand, I didn't use it. It only makes them angry. The postman stared at the sitting dogs. "'But you got them to sit,' one began. "'I can get them to do other things,' said Moist, levelly. "'I just have to say the word.' "'Ah, there's a couple of the lads outside with muscles, "'if it's all the same to you, sir,' said Grote, as the order backed away. "'We're hereditarily wary of dogs. It's a postman thing. "'I can assure you that the control my voice has over them at the moment "'is stronger than steel,' said Moist. "'This was probably garbage, but it was good garbage.' The growl from one of the dogs had taken on the edge it tended to get just before the creature became a tooth-tipped projectile. it! shouted Moist. "'Sorry about this, gentlemen,' he added. "'I think you make them nervous. "'They can smell fear, as you probably know.' "'Look, we're really sorry, all right,' said the one whose voice suggested to Moist that he had been the worshipful master. "'We had to be sure, right?' 
"'I'm the postmaster, then,' said Moist. "'Absolutely, sir. No problem at all. Welcome, O postmaster!' "'Quick learner,' Moist thought. "'I think I'll just,' he began as the double doors opened at the other end of the hall. "'Mr. Pump entered, carrying a large box. "'It should be quite hard to open a big pair of doors while carrying something in both hands, "'but not if you're a golem. They just walk at them. "'The doors can choose to open or try to stay shut. It's up to them. "'The dogs took off like fireworks. "'The postman took off in the opposite direction, "'climbing onto the dais behind Moist with commendable speed for such elderly men.' Mr. Pump plodded forward, crushing underfoot the debris of the walk. He rocked as the creatures struck him, and then patiently put down the box and picked up the dogs by the scruff of their necks. "'There are some gentlemen outside with nets and gloves and extremely thick clothing, Mr. Lipvig,' he said. "'They say they work for a Mr. Harry King. They want to know if you have finished with these dogs.' "'Harry King?' said Moist. "'He's a big scrap merchant, sir,' said Grote. "'I expect the dogs was borrowed off of him. "'He turns them loose in his yards at night. "'No burglar gets in, eh? "'I think he's quite happy if they get in, sir. "'Saves having to feed the dogs. "'Please take them away, Mr Pump,' said Moist. "'Lip-fixers. It had been so easy.' "'As they watched the golem turn round with a whimpering dog under each arm, "'he added, "'Mr King must be doing well, then, "'to run lip-fixers as common guard dogs.' "'Lip-fixers! Harry King, bless you, sir! "'Old Harry wouldn't buy posh foreign dogs "'when he can buy crossbreeds, not him,' said Grote. "'Probably a bit of lip-fixer in him, I dare say. "'Probably the worst bits. "'Ha! A purebred lip-fixer "'probably wouldn't last five minutes "'against some of the mongrels in our alleys. "'Some of them has got crocodile in them.' "'There was a moment of silence, "'and then moist, in a faraway voice, "'so definitely not imported purebreds, you think?' "'Bet your life on it, sir,' said Grote cheerfully. "'Is there a problem, sir?' "'What? Um, no, n not at all. "'You sounded a bit disappointed, sir, or something. "'No, I'm, I'm fine. No, no problem,' Moist added thoughtfully. "'You know, I really have got to get some laundry done, "'and perhaps some new shoes.' "'The doors swung open again to reveal not the return of the dogs, "'but Mr Pump once more. "'He picked up the box he'd left and headed on towards Moist.' "'Well, we'll be off,' said the worshipful master. "'Nice to have met you, Mr Lipvig.' "'That's it,' said Moist. "'Isn't there a ceremony or something?' "'Oh, that's Tolliver, that is,' said the worshipful master. "'I like to see the old place still standing, really I do, "'but it's all about the clacks these days, isn't it? "'Young Tolliver thinks it can all be got going again, "'but he was just a lad when it all broke down. "'You can't fix some things, Mr Lipvig.' "'Oh, you can call yourself postmaster, "'but where'd you start to get this lot back working? "'It's an old fossil, sir, just like us.' "'Your hat, sir,' said Pump. "'What?' said Moist, "'and turned to where the golem was standing by the dais, "'patiently with a hat in his hands. "'It was a postman's peaked hat, in gold, with golden wings. "'Moist took it and saw how the gold was just paint, "'cracked and peeling, and the wings were real dried pigeon wings and almost crumbled to the touch. As the golem had held it up in the light, it had gleamed like something from some ancient tomb. In Moist's hands it crackled and smelled of attics and shed golden flakes. Inside the brim, on a stained label with the words Bolt and Lock, Military and Ceremonial Outfitters, Peach Pie Street, A.M., size seven and a quarter. "'There is a pair of boots with wings on, too,' said Mr. Pump. 
And some sort of elasticated... Uh, don't bother about that bit, said Grote excitedly. Where did you find that stuff? We've been looking everywhere for years. It was under the mail in the postmaster's office, Mr Grote. Couldn't have been. Couldn't have been, Grote protested. We've sifted through there dozens of times. I've seen every inch of carpet in there. A lot of mail, um, moved about today, said Moist. That is correct, said the golem. Mr Lipvig came through the ceiling. Ah, oh, so he found it then, eh? said Grote triumphantly. See, it's all coming true, the prophecy. There is no prophecy, Tolliver, said the worshipful master, shaking his head sadly. I know you think there is, but wishing that someone will come along and sort this mess out one day is not the same as a prophecy. Not really. We've been hearing the letters talking again, said Grote. They whisper in the night. We have to read them the regulations to keep them quiet, just like the wizard said. Yes, well... "'You know what we used to say? "'You do have to be mad to work here,' said the worshipful master. "'It's all over, Tolliver. It really is. "'The city doesn't even need us any more.' "'You put the hat on, Mr Lipvig,' said Grote. "'It's fate, that turning up like this. "'You just put it on and see what happens.' "'Well, if everyone's happy about it,' Moist mumbled. "'He held the hat above his head, but hesitated. "'Nothing is going to happen, is it?' he said. "'Only I've had a very strange day.' "'No, nothing's going to happen,' said the worshipful master. "'It never does. "'Oh, we all thought it would once. "'Every time someone said they'd put the chandeliers back "'or deliver the mail, we thought, "'maybe it's ended. "'Maybe it really is going to work this time. "'And young Tolliver there, "'you made him happy when you put the sign back. "'Got him excited. "'Made him think it'd work this time. "'It never does, though, "'cause this place is cursed.' "'That's cursed with an extra ed? "'Yes, sir.' "'The worst kind. "'No, put your hat on, sir. "'It'll keep the rain off at least.' "'Moist prepared to lower the hat, "'but as he did so, "'he was aware that the old postman were drawing back. "'You're not sure,' Moist yelled, waving a finger. "'You're not actually sure, are you? "'All of you. "'You're thinking, hmm, maybe this time it will work, right? "'You're holding your breath, I can tell. "'Hope is a terrible thing, gentlemen.' "'He lowered the hat.' "'Feeling anything?' said Grote, after a while. "'It's a bit...' "'Scratchy,' said Moist. "'Ah, oh, that'd be some amazing mystic force leaking out, eh?' said Grote desperately. "'I don't think so,' said Moist. "'Sorry. "'Most of the postmasters I served under heated wearing that thing,' said the worshipful master as everyone relaxed. "'Mind you, you've got the height to carry it off. "'Postmaster Atkinson was only five feet one, and it made him look broody.' "'He patted Moist on the shoulder.' "'Never mind, lad. You did your best.' An envelope bounced off his head. As he brushed it away, another one landed on his shoulder and slid off. Around the group, letters started to land on the floor, like fish dropped by a passing tornado. Moist looked up. The letters were falling down from the darkness, and the drizzle was turning into a torrent. "'Stanley, are you messing about up there?' Grote ventured, almost invisible in the paper sleet. "'I always said those attics didn't have strong enough floors,' moaned the worshipful master. "'It's just a mail storm again. We made too much noise, that's all. "'Come on, let's get out while we can, eh?' "'Then put those lanterns out. They ain't safety lights,' shouted Grote. "'We'll be groping around in the dark, lad.' "'Oh, you'd rather see by the light of a burning roof, would you?' "'The lanterns winked out, and by the darkness they now shed, "'Moist von Lipvig saw the writing on the wall, or at least... "'hanging in the air just in front of it. 
the hidden pen swooped through the air in loops and curves, drawing its glowing blue letters behind it. Moist von Lipfig, it wrote. Er, uh, yes. You are the postmaster. Look, I'm not the one you're looking for. Moist von Lipfig, at a time like this, any one will do. But, but, I'm not worthy. Acquire worth with speed, Moist von Lipfig. Bring back the light. Open the doors. Stay not the messengers about their business. Moist looked down at the golden light coming up from around his feet. It sparkled off his fingertips and began to fill him up from inside like fine wine. He felt his feet leave the dais as the words lifted him up and spun him gently. In the beginning was a word, but what is a word without its messenger, Moist von Lipvig? You are the postmaster. I am the postmaster, Moist shouted. The mail must move, Moist von Lipvig. Too long have we been bound here. I will move the mail. You will move the mail. I will. I will. Moist von Lipvig. Yes, the words came like a gale, whirling the envelopes in the sparkling light, shaking the building to its foundations. Deliver us! Chapter 6 Little Pictures The Postman Unmasked A Terrible Engine The New Pie Mr. Lipvig Thinks About Stamps The Messenger From the Dawn of Time Mr. Lipvig, said Mr. Pump. Moist looked up into the golem's glowing eyes. There had to be a better way of waking up in the morning. Some people manage with a clock, for heaven's sake. He was lying on a bare mattress under a musty blanket in his newly excavated apartment, which smelled of ancient paper, and every bit of him ached. In a clouded kind of way, he was aware of Pump saying, The postmen are waiting, sir. Postal Inspector Grote said that you would probably wish to send them out properly on this day. Moist blinked at the ceiling. Postal Inspector? I promoted him all the way to Postal Inspector? Yes, sir. You were very ebullient. Memories of last night flocked treacherously to tap-dance their speciality acts on the famous stage of the grand old embarrassing recollection. Postman, he said. The Brotherhood of the Order of the Post. They're old men, sir, but wiry. They're pensioners now, but they all volunteered. They've been here for hours, sorting the mail. I hired a bunch of men, even older than Grote. Did I do anything else? You gave a very inspirational speech, sir. I was particularly impressed when you pointed out that angel is just a word for messenger. Not many people know that. On the bed, Moist slowly tried to cram his fist into his mouth. Oh, and you promised to bring back the big chandeliers and the fine polished counters, sir. They were very impressed. No one knows where they got to. Oh, gods, thought Moist. And the statue of the god, sir. That impressed them even more, I would say, because apparently it was melted down many years ago. Did I do anything last night that suggested I was sane? 
I am sorry, sir, said the golem. But Moist remembered the light and the whispering of the mail. It had filled his mind with knowledge or memories that he didn't remember ever acquiring. Unfinished stories, he said. Yes, sir, said the golem calmly. You talked about them at length, sir. I did? Yes, sir, you said that every undelivered message is a piece of space-time that lacks another end, a little bundle of effort and emotion floating freely. Pack millions of them together, and they do what letters are meant to do. They communicate and change the nature of events. When there's enough of them, they distort the universe around them. It had all made sense to Moist, or at least as much sense as anything else. And did I actually rise up in the air glowing gold? said Moist. I think I must have missed that, sir, said Mr. Pump. You mean, I didn't, then? In a manner of speaking you did, sir, said the golem. But in common, everyday reality, I didn't. You were lit, as it were, by an inner fire, sir. The postmen were extremely impressed. Moist's eye lit on the winged hat, which had been thrown carelessly on the desk. "'I'm never going to live up to all this, Mr. Pump,' he said. "'They want a saint, not someone like me.' "'Perhaps a saint is not what they need, sir,' said the golem. Moist sat up, and the blanket dropped away. "'What happened to my clothes?' he said. "'I'm sure I hung them neatly on the floor.' "'I did, in fact, try to clean your suit with spot remover, sir,' said Mr. Pump. But since it was effectively just one large spot, it removed the whole suit. I liked that suit. At least you could have saved it for dusters or something. I'm sorry, sir. I'd assumed that dusters had been saved for your suit. But in any case, I obeyed your order, sir. Moist paused. What order? he said suspiciously. Last night you asked me to obtain a suit fit for a postmaster, sir. You gave me very precise instructions, said the golem. Fortunately, my colleague Stitcher 22 was working at the theatrical costumiers. It is hanging on the door. And the golem had even found a mirror. It wasn't very big, but it was big enough to show Moist that if he were dressed any sharper, he'd cut himself as he walked. Wow! he breathed. El Dorado, or what? The suit was cloth of gold, or whatever actors used instead. Moist was about to protest, but second thoughts intervened quickly. Good suits helped. A smooth tongue was not much use in rough trousers, and people would notice the suit, not him. He'd certainly be noticed in this suit. It'd light up the street. People would have to shade their eyes to look at him, and apparently he'd asked for this. It's very... he hesitated. The only word was... fast. I mean, it looks as if it's about to speed away at any moment. Yes, sir. Stitcher 22 has a skill. Note also the gold shirt and tie. To match the hat, sir. Uh, you couldn't get him to knock up something a little more sombre, could you? said Moist, covering his eyes to stop himself being blinded by his own lapels. For me to wear when I don't want to illuminate distant objects? I shall do so immediately, sir. Well, Moist said, blinking in the light of his sleeves, let's speed the mail then, shall we?
The formerly retired postmen were waiting in the hall in a space cleared from last night's mail drop. They all wore uniforms, although since no two uniforms were exactly alike, they were not, in fact, uniform, and therefore not technically uniforms. The caps all had peaks, but some were high-domed and some were soft, and the old men themselves had ingrown their clothes too, so that jackets hung like drape coats and trousers looked like concertinas. And, as is the wont of old men, they wore their medals and the determined looks of those ready for the final combat. "'Delivery ready for inspection, sir?' said Postal Inspector Grote, standing at attention so hard that sheer pride had lifted his feet a full inch off the floor. "'Thank you. Um... Right. Moist wasn't sure what he was inspecting, but he did his best. Wrinkled face after wrinkled face stared back at him. The medals, he realised, weren't all for military service. The post office had medals of its own. One was at Golden Dog's Head, worn by a little man with a face like a packet of weasels. What's this? Um, he began. Senior Postman George Aggie, sir. The badge. Fifteen bites and still standing, sir, said the man proudly. "'Well, that is a, um, uh, a lot of bites, isn't it? "'Ah, but I foxed them after number nine, sir, "'and got myself a tin leg, sir.' "'You lost your leg?' said Moist, horrified. "'No, sir. Bought a bit of old armour, didn't I?' "'said the wizened man, grinning artfully. "'Does my heart good to hear their teeth squeaking, sir?' "'Aggie. Aggie,' Moist mused, and then memory sparked. "'Weren't you? I'm the worshipful master, sir,' said Aggie. "'I hope you won't take last night the wrong way, sir. "'We all used to be like young Tolliver, sir, but we gave up hope, sir. "'No hard feelings.' "'No, no,' said Moist, rubbing the back of his head. "'And I'd like to add my own message of congratulations "'as chairman of the ank Morpork Order of Postal Workers, "'Benevolent and Friendly Society,' Aggie went on. "'Er, uh, thank you,' said Moist. "'And who are they, exactly?' "'That was us last night, sir.' "'said Aggie, beaming. "'But I thought you were a secret society.' "'Not secret, sir. "'Not exactly secret. "'More ignored, you might say. "'These days it's just about pensions "'and making sure your old mates get a proper funeral "'when they return to sender, really.' "'Well done,' said Moist vaguely, "'which seemed to cover everything. "'He stood back and cleared his throat. "'Gentlemen, this is it. "'If we want the post office back in business, "'we must start by delivering the old mail.' It is a sacred trust. The mail gets through. It may take fifty years, but we get there in the end. You know your walks. Take it steady. Remember, if you can't deliver it, if the house is gone, well, it comes back here and we'll put it into the dead letter office and at least we'll have tried. We just want people to know the post office is back again, understand? A postman raised a hand. Yes. Moist's skill at remembering names was better than his skill at remembering anything else about last night. Senior Postman Thompson, isn't it? Yes, sir. So what do we do when people give us letters, sir? Moist's brow wrinkled. Sorry. I thought you deliver the mail, don't you? No, Bill's right, sir, said Grote. What do we do if people give us new mail? Um, what did you used to do, said Moist. The postman looked at one another. "'Get one penny off them for the stamping. "'Bring it back here to be stamped with the official stamp,' said Grote promptly. "'Then it gets sorted and delivered.' "'So, people have to wait until they see a postman. "'That seems rather—' "'Oh, in the old days, there was dozens of smaller offices, see,' Grote added. "'But when it all started going bad, we lost them.' 
Well, let's get the mail moving again and we can work things out as we go along, said Moist. I'm sure ideas will occur. And now, Mr Groats, you have a secret to share. Groat's keyring jingled as he led Moist through the post office's cellars and eventually to a metal door. Moist noted a length of black and yellow rope on the floor. The watch had been here too. The door clicked open. There was a blue glow inside, just faint enough to be annoying, leave purple shadows on the edge of vision and make the eyes water. Voila! said Groat. It's a, um... Is it some kind of theatre organ? said Moist. It was hard to see the outlines of the machine in the middle of the floor, but it stood there with all the charm of a torturer's rack. The blue glow was coming from somewhere in the middle of it. Moist's eyes were streaming already. Good try, sir. Actually, it is the sorting engine, said Grote. It's the curse of the post office, sir. It had imps in it for the actual reading of the envelopes, but they all evaporated years ago, just as well, too. Moist's gaze took in the wire racks that occupied a whole wall of the big room. It also found the chalk outlines on the floor. The chalk glowed in the strange light. The outlines were quite small. One of them had five fingers. Industrial accident, he muttered. All right, Mr Grope, tell me. Don't go near the glow, sir, said Grote. That's what I said to Mr Wobbleberry. But he snuck down here all by himself later on. Oh, dear, sir, it was poor young Stanley that went and found him, sir, after he saw poor little Tiddles dragging something along the passage. A scene of carnage met his eyes. You just can't imagine what it was like in here, sir. I think I can, said Moist. I doubt if you can, sir. I can, really. I'm sure you can't, sir. I can, all right, shouted Moist. Do you think I can't see all those little chalk outlines? Now, can we get on with it before I throw up? Uh, right you are, sir, said Grote. Ever heard of bloody stupid Johnson? Quite famous in this city. Didn't he build things? Wasn't there always something wrong with them? I'm sure I read something about him. That's the man, sir. He built all kinds of things, but, sad to say, there was always some major flaw. In Moist's brain, a memory kicked a neuron. Wasn't he the man who specified quicksand as a building material because he wanted the house finished fast, he said. That's right, sir. Usually the major flaw was that the designer was bloody stupid Johnson. Flaw, you might say, was part of the whole thing. Actually, to be fair, a lot of the things he designed worked quite well. It was just that they didn't do the job they were supposed to. This thing, sir, did indeed begin life as an organ, but it ended up as a machine for sorting letters. The idea was that you tipped the mail sack in that hopper and the letters were speedily sorted into those racks. Postmaster Cowby meant well, they say. He was a stickler for speed and efficiency, that man. My granddad told me the post office spent a fortune on getting it to work. And lost their money, eh? said Moist. Oh, no, sir, it worked. Oh, yes, it worked very well. So well that people went mad come the finish. Let me guess, said Moist. The postman had to work too hard? Oh, postmen always work too hard, sir, said Grote without blinking. No, what got people worried was finding letters in the sorting tray a year before they was due to be written. There was a silence. In that silence, Moist tried out a variety of responses, from pull the other one, it's got bells on, to that's impossible, and decided they all sounded stupid. Grote looked deadly serious. So instead he said, how? The old postman pointed to the blue glow. Have a squint inside, sir. You can just see it. Don't get right above it, whatever you do. Moist moved a little closer to the machine and peered into the machinery. He could just make out, at the heart of the glow, a little wheel, 
It was turning slowly. "'I was raised in the post-office,' said Grote behind him. "'Born in the sorting-room, weighed on the official scales, "'learned to read from the envelopes, "'learned figuring from old ledgers, "'learned geography from looking at the maps of the city "'and history from the old men. "'Better than any school. "'Better than any school, sir. "'But never learned geometry, sir. "'Bit of a hole in my understanding, "'all that stuff about angles and such like. "'But this, sir, is all about pie.' "'Like in food?' said Moist, drawing back from the sinister glow. "'No, no, no, sir. Pie like in geometry.' "'Oh, you mean pie the number you get when...' Moist paused. He was erratically good at maths, which is to say he could calculate odds and currency very, very fast. There had been a geometry section in his book at school, but he'd never seen the point. He tried anyway. "'It's all to do with... "'It's the number you get when the radius of a circle... "'No, the length of the rim of a wheel is three and a bit times the... Um, "'Something like that, sir, probably something like that,' said Grote. Three and a bit, that's the ticket. "'Only bloody stupid Johnson said that was untidy. "'So he designed a wheel where the pie was exactly three, and that's it in there.' "'But that's impossible,' said Moist. "'You can't do that. Pie is, like, built in. "'You can't change it. You'd have to change the universe.' "'Yes, sir. They tell me that's what happened,' said Grote calmly. "'I'll do the party trick now, sir. Stand back, sir.' Grote wandered out into the other cellars and came back with a length of wood. "'Stand further back, sir,' he suggested, and tossed the piece of wood on top of the machine. The noise wasn't loud. It was a sort of clop. It seemed to Moist that something happened to the wood when it went over the light. There was a suggestion of curvature. Several pieces of timber clattered onto the floor along with a shower of splinters. "'They had a wizard in to look at it,' said Grote. He said the machine twists just a little bit of the universe, so pi could be three, sir, but it plays hob with anything you put too near it. The bits that go missing get lost in the space-time continuum, sir, but it doesn't happen to the letters because of the way they travel through the machine, you see. That's the long and the short of it, sir. Some letters came out of that machine 50 years before they was posted. Why didn't you switch it off? Couldn't, sir. It kept on going like a siphon. Anyway, the wizard said if we did that, terrible things might happen, cause of, um, quantum, I think. Well, then, you could just stop feeding it mail, couldn't you? Ah, oh, well, sir, there it is, said Grote, scratching his beard. You have positioned your digit right on the nub or crux, sir. We should have done that, sir, we should have, but we tried to make it work for us, you see. Oh, the management had schemes, sir. How about delivering a letter in Dolly Sisters thirty seconds after it had been posted in the city centre, eh? Of course, it wouldn't be polite to deliver mail before we'd actually got it, sir, but it could be a close-run thing, eh? We were good, so we tried to be better. And somehow, it was all familiar. Moist listened glumly. Time travel was only a kind of magic after all. That's why it always went wrong. That's why there were postmen with real feet. That's why the clacks was a string of expensive towers. Come to that, it was why farmers grew crops and fishermen trawled nets. Oh, you could do it all by magic. You certainly could. You could wave a wand and get twinkly stars and a fresh-baked loaf. You could make fish jump out of the sea ready-cooked. And then, somewhere, somehow, magic would present its bill, which was always more than you could afford. That's why it was left to wizards, who knew how to handle it safely. Not doing any magic at all was the chief task of wizards. Not not doing magic, because they couldn't do magic, but not doing magic when they could do and didn't. 
Any ignorant fool can fail to turn someone else into a frog. You have to be clever to refrain from doing it when you know how easy it is. There were places in the world commemorating those times when wizards hadn't been quite as clever as that, and on many of them the grass would never grow again. Anyway, there was a sense of inevitability about the whole business. People wanted to be fooled. They really believed that you found gold nuggets lying on the ground, that this time you could find the lady, that just for once the glass ring might be real diamond. Words spilled out of Mr Grote like stashed mail from a crack in the wall. Sometimes the machine had produced a thousand copies of the same letter, or filled the room with letters from next Tuesday, next month, next year. Sometimes there were letters that hadn't been written, or might have been written, or were meant to have been written, or letters which people had once sworn that they had written and hadn't really, but which nevertheless had a shadowy existence in some strange, invisible letter world, and were made real by the machine. If, somewhere, any possible world can exist, then somewhere out there is any letter that could possibly be written. Somewhere all those cheques really are in the post. They poured out. Letters from the present day which turned out not to be from this present day, but ones that might have happened if only some small detail had been changed in the past. It didn't matter that the machine had been switched off, the wizard said. It existed in plenty of other presents, and so worked here owing to... A lengthy sentence which the postman didn't understand, but had words like portal, multidimensional, and quantum in it, quantum being in it twice. They didn't understand, but they had to do something. No one could deliver all that mail, so the rooms began to fill up. The wizards from Unseen University had been jolly interested in the problem, like doctors being really fascinated by some new virulent disease. The patient appreciates all the interest, but would very much prefer it if they came up either with a cure or stopped prodding. The machine couldn't be stopped, and certainly shouldn't be destroyed, the wizard said. Destroying the machine might well cause this universe to stop existing instantly. On the other hand, the post office was filling up, so one day Chief Postal Inspector Rumbelow had gone into the room with a crowbar, had ordered all the wizards out, and belted the machine until things stopped whirring. The letters ceased, at least. This came as a huge relief. But nevertheless, the post office had its regulations, and so the chief postal inspector was brought before Postmaster Cowerby and asked why he had decided to risk destroying the whole universe in one go. According to post office legend, Mr. Rumbelow had replied, Firstly, sir, I reasoned that if I destroyed the universe all in one go, no one would know. Secondly, when I walloped the thing the first time, the wizards ran away, so I surmised that unless they had another universe to run to, they weren't really certain. And lastly, sir, the bloody thing was getting on my nerves. Never could stand machinery, sir. And that was the end of that, said Mr Grote as they left the room. Actually, I heard where the wizards were saying that the universe was destroyed all in one go, but instantly came back in all in one go. They said they could tell by looking, sir. So that was OK, and it let old Rumbelow off of the hook, on account it's hard to discipline a man under post office regulations for destroying the universe all in one go. Mind you, ha! There have been postmasters that would have given it a try. But it knocked the stuffing out of us, sir. It was all downhill after that. The men had lost our... It broke us, to tell you the truth. Look, said Moist, the letters we've just given the lads, they're not from some other dimension or... Don't worry, I checked them last night, said Grote. They're just old. Mostly, you can tell by the stamp. I'm good at telling which ones are properly ours, sir. Had years to learn. It's a skill, sir. Could you teach other people? I dare say yes, said Grote. 
Mr. Grote. The letters have talked to me, Moist burst out. To his surprise, the old man grabbed his hand and shook it. Well done, sir, he said, tears rising in his eyes. I said it's a skill, didn't I? Listen to the whispers, that's half the trick. They're alive, sir, alive. Not like people, but like... Like ships are alive, sir. I'll swear, all them letters pressed together in here, all the, the passion of them, sir. Why, I do think this place has got something like a soul, sir. Indeed, I do. The tears coursed down Grote's cheeks. It's madness, of course, thought Moist, but now I've got it too. Ah, I can see it in your eyes, sir. Yes, I can, said Grote, grinning wetly. The post office has found you. It's enfolded you, sir. Yes, it has. You'll never leave it, sir. There's families that have worked here for hundreds and hundreds of years, sir. Once the postal service puts its stamp on you, sir, there's no turning back. Moist disentangled his hand as tactfully as he could. Yes, he said. Do tell me about stamps. Thump. Moist looked down at the piece of paper. Smudgy red letters, chipped and worn, spelled out, Ank Morpork Post Office. That's right, sir, said Grote, waving the heavy metal and wood stamper in the air. I bang the stamp on the ink pad here, then bang it, sir, bang it on the letter. There, see, done it again. Same every time, stamped. And this is worth a penny, said Moist. Good grief, man, a kid could forge this with half a potato. "'That was always a bit of a problem, sir, yes,' said Grote. "'Why does a postman have to stamp the letters anyway?' said Moist. "'Why don't we just sell people a stamp?' "'But they'd pay a penny and then go on stamping forever, sir,' said Grote reasonably. "'In the machinery of the universe, the wheels of inevitability clicked into position. "'Well, then,' said Moist, staring thoughtfully at the paper, "'how about... how about a stamp you can use only once?' "'You mean like...' "'Not much ink,' said Grote, his brow wrinkled, "'causing his toupee to slip sideways. "'I mean, if you stamped the stamper lots of times on paper, "'then cut out all the stampings,' Moist stared at an inner vision, "'if only to avoid the sight of the toupee slowly crawling back. "'The rate for delivery anywhere in this city is a penny, isn't it? "'Except for the shade, sir. That's five pence, "'cause of the armed guard,' said Grote. "'Right. Okay.' I think I might have something here. Moist looked up at Mr. Pump, who was smouldering in the corner of the office. Mr. Pump, would you be so good as to go along to the goat and spirit level over at Hen and Chickens and ask the publican for Mr. Robinson's box, please? He may want a dollar. And while you're over there, there's a printing shop over that way, Teamer and Spools. Leave a message to say that the Postmaster General wishes to discuss a very large order. Teamer and Spools? They're very expensive, sir, said Grote. They do all the posh printing for the banks. They're the very devil to forge, I know that, said Moist. Uh, or so I've been told, he added quickly. Watermarks, special weaves in the paper, all kinds of tricks. <clears throat> so, a penny stamping and a five penny stamping. What about post to the other cities? Five pence to Stolat, said Grote. Ten or fifteen to the others. Ha! Three dollars for all the way to Genua. We used to have to write those out. We'll need a one dollar stamp then, Moist started to scribble on a scrap of paper. "'A dollar stamp? Who'd buy one of those?' said Grote. "'Anyone who wants to send a letter to Genua,' said Moist. "'They'll buy three eventually, but for now I'm dropping the price to one dollar. "'One dollar? That's thousands of miles, sir,' Grote protested. "'Yep. Sounds like a bargain, right?' Grote looked torn between exultation and despair. "'But 
we've only got a bunch of old men, sir. They're pretty spry, I'll grant you, but, well, you've got to learn to walk before you try to run, sir. No! Moist's fist thumped the table. Never say that, Tolliver, never. Run before you walk. Fly before you crawl. Keep moving forward. You think we should try to get a decent mail service in the city? I think we should try to send letters anywhere in the world. Because if we fail, I'd rather fail really hugely. All or nothing, Mr Grote. Wow, sir, said Grote. Moist grinned his bright, sunny smile. It very nearly reflected off his suit. Let's get busy. We're going to need more staff, Postal Inspector Grote. A lot more staff. Smarten up, man. The post office is back. Yes, sir, said Grote, drunk on enthusiasm. We'll... We'll do things that are quite new in interesting ways. You're getting the hang of it already, said Moist, rolling his eyes. Ten minutes later, the post office received its first delivery. It was senior postman Bates, blood streaming down his face. He was helped into the office by two watch officers carrying a makeshift stretcher. Found him wandering in the street, sir, said one of them. Sergeant Coulon, sir, at your service. What happened to him, said Moist, horrified. Bates opened his eyes. "'Sorry, sir,' he murmured. "'I held on tight, but they belted me over the bonce with a big thing.' "'A couple of toughs jumped him,' said Sergeant Colon. "'They threw his bag in the river, too.' "'Does that normally happen to postmen?' said Moist. "'I thought—' "'Oh, no.' The new, painfully slow arrival was senior postman Aggie, dragging one leg because it had a bulldog attached to it. "'Sorry about this, sir.' he said, limping forward. I think my official trousers is torn. I stunned a bugger with my bag, sir, but they're a devil to let go. The bulldog's eyes were shut. It appeared to be thinking of something else. Good job you've got your armour, eh? said Moist. Wrong leg, sir, but not to worry. I'm naturally imp everywhere around the coffee regions. It's all a scar tissue, sir. You could strike matches on it. Jimmy Tropes is in trouble, though. He's up a tree in Hyde Park. Moist von Lipvig strode up Market Street, face set with grim purpose. The boards were still up on the Golem Trust, but had attracted another layer of graffiti. The paint on the door was burnt and bubbled too. He opened the door, and instinct made him duck. He felt the crossbow bolt zip between the wings of his hat. Miss Dearheart lowered the bow. "'My gods, it's you! For a minute I thought a second sun had appeared in the sky!' Moist rose cautiously as she laid the bow aside. "'We had a firebomb last night!' she said, by way of explanation, for attempting to shoot him in the head. "'How many golems are for hire right now, Miss Dearheart?' said Moist. "'Huh? Oh, a bite, a dozen or so. Fine, I'll take them. Don't bother to wrap them up. I want them down at the post office as soon as possible.' "'What?' Miss Dearheart's normal expression of perpetual annoyance returned. "'Look, you can't just walk in, snap your fingers, and order a dozen people like this.' "'They think they're property,' said Moist. "'That's what you told me.' They glared at one another. Then Miss Dearheart fumbled distractedly in a filing tray. "'I can let you have employ four right now,' she said. "'That'll be Doris One, Sor Twenty, Campanile Two, and Anghammerad. "'Only Anghammerad can talk at the moment. "'The Frees haven't helped the others yet. "'Helped?' Miss Dearheart shrugged. "'A lot of the cultures that built golems thought tools shouldn't talk. "'They have no tongues. "'And the Trust?' "'Gives them some extra clay, eh?' said Moist cheerfully. "'She gave him a look. "'It's a bit more mystical than that,' she said solemnly. "'Well, dumb is okay so long as they're not stupid,' said Moist, "'trying to look serious. "'This Anghammerad's got a name, not just a description. "'A lot of the very old ones have. 
"'Tell me, what do you want them to do?' said the woman. "'Be postman,' said Moist. "'Working in public?' "'I don't think you can have secret postman,' said Moist, "'briefly seeing shadowy figures skulking from door to door. "'Anything wrong with that?' "'Well, no, certainly not. "'It's just that people get a bit nervous and set fire to the shop. "'I'll bring them down as soon as possible.' "'She paused. "'You do understand that old golems have to have a day off every week. "'You did read the pamphlet, didn't you?' "'Uh, time off,' said Moist. "'What do they need time off for? "'A hammer doesn't get time off, does it? "'In order to be golems. "'Don't ask what they do. "'I think they just go and sit in a cellar somewhere.' It's... it's a way to show that they're not a hammer, Mr. Lipvig. The buried ones forget. The free golems teach them. But don't worry. The rest of the time they won't even sleep. So, Mr. Pump has a day off coming, said Moist. Of course, said Miss Dearheart, and Moist filed this one under useful to know. Good, thank you, he said. Would you like to have dinner tonight? Moist normally had no trouble with words, but these stuck to his tongue. There was something pineapple prickly about Miss Dearheart. There was something about her expression, too, which said, There's no possible way you could surprise me. I know all about you. Is there anything else? she said. Only you're standing there with your mouth open. Uh, no, that's fine. Thank you, mumbled Moist. She smiled at him, and bits of Moist tingled. Well, off you go then, Mr. Lipvig, she said. Brighten up the world like a little sunbeam. Four out of the five postmen were what Mr. Grote called horse de combat, and were brewing tea in the male-stuffed cubbyhole that was laughingly called their rest-room. Aggie had been sent home after the bulldog had been prized from his leg. Moist had a big basket of fruit sent round. You couldn't go wrong with a basket of fruit. Well, they'd made an impression at least. So had the bulldog. But some mail had been delivered, you had to admit it. You had to admit, too, that it was years and years late, but the post was moving. You could sense it in the air. The place didn't feel so much like a tomb. Now Moist had retired to his office, where he was getting creative. "'Cup of tea, Mr Lipvig?' He looked up from his work into the slightly strange face of Stanley. "'Thank you, Stanley,' he said, laying down his pen. "'And I see you got nearly all of it in the cup this time. Nicely done. "'What are you drawing, Mr Lipvig?' said the boy, craning his neck. It looks like the post office. Well done. It's going to be on a stamp, Stanley. Here, what do you think of the others? He passed over the other sketches. Cool. You're a good drawer, Mr Lipvig. That looks just like Lord Vetinari. That's the penny stamp, said Moist. I copied the likeness off a penny. City coat of arms on the twopenny. More porkia with her fork on the fivepenny. Tower of art on the big one-dollar stamp. I was thinking of a tenpenny stamp, too. They look very nice, Mr Lipvig said Stanley. All that detail, like little paintings. What's all those tiny lines called? Cross-hatching. Makes them hard to forge. And when the letter with the stamp on it comes into the post office, you see, we take one of the old rubber stamps and stamp over the new stamps so that they can't be used again. And the... Yes, cause they're like money, really, said Stanley cheerfully. Pardon, said Moist, tea halfway to his lips. Like money. The stamps will be like money, because a penny stamp is a penny when you think about it. Are you all right, Mr Lipvig? Only you've gone all funny, Mr Lipvig. Uh, what? said Moist, who was staring at the wall with a strange, faraway grin. Are you all right, sir? What? Oh, yes, indeed. Um, do we need a bigger stamp, do you think? Five dollars, perhaps? Ha! 
I should think you could send a big letter all the way to 4X for that, Mr Lipvig, said Stanley cheerfully. Worth thinking ahead, then, said Moist. I mean, since we're designing the stamps and everything. But now Stanley was admiring Mr Robinson's box. It was an old friend to Moist. He never used Mr Robinson as an alias except to get it stored by some halfway honest merchant or publican, so that it'd be somewhere safe even if he had to leave town quickly. It was for a conman and forger what a set of lockpicks is to a burglar, but with the contents of this box you could open people's brains. It was a work of art in its own right, the way all the little compartments lifted up and fanned out when you opened it. There were pens and inks, of course, but also little pots of paints and tints, stains and solvents, and, kept carefully flat, thirty-six different types of paper, some of them quite hard to obtain. Paper was important. Get the weight and translucence wrong, and no matter of skill could save you. You could get away with bad penmanship much more easily than you could with bad paper. In fact, rough penmanship often worked better than a week of industrious midnights spent getting every little thing right, because there was something in people's heads that spotted some little detail that wasn't quite right, but at the same time would fill in details that had merely been suggested by a few careful strokes. Attitude, expectation and presentation were everything. Just like me, he thought. The door was knocked on and opened in one movement. Yes, snapped Moist, not looking up. I'm busy designing m- n- stamps here, you know. There's a lady, panted Groat, with golems. Ah, that'll be Miss Dearheart, said Moist, laying down his pen. Yes, sir, she said, tell Mr Sunshine I've brought him his postman, sir. You're going to use golems as postman, sir? Yes, why not, said Moist, giving Groat a severe look. You get on OK with Mr Pump, don't you? "'Well, he's all right, sir,' the old man mumbled. "'I mean, he keeps the place tidy. "'He's always very respectful. I, "'I speak as I find. "'But people can be a bit odd about golems, sir, "'what with them glowing eyes and all, and, "'and the way they never stops. "'The lads might not take to him, sir, that's all I'm saying.' "'Moist stared at him. "'Golems were thorough, reliable, and by God's they took orders. "'He'd get another chance to be smiled at by Miss Dearheart. "'Think about golems, 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 golems,' he smiled and said. "'even if I can prove they're real postmen.' Ten minutes later, the fist of the golem called Anghammerad "'smashed through a letterbox and several square inches of splintering wood. "'Mail delivered,' it announced, and went still. "'The eyes dulled. "'Moist turned to the cluster of human postmen "'and gestured towards the impromptu postman's walk "'he'd set up in the big hall.' Uh, "'Note the flattened roller-skate gentleman. "'Note the heap of ground glass where the beer bottle was. "'And Mr. Anghammerad did it all with a hood on his head, I might add. "'Yeah, but his eyes burned holes in it,' Groat pointed out. "'None of us can help the way we're made,' said Adora Bell, dear heart primly. "'I've got to admit it did my heart good to see him punch through that door,' "'said Senior Postman Bates. "'That'll teach him to put em low and sharp.' And no problem with dogs, I expect, said Jimmy Tropes. He'd never get the arse bitten out of his trousers. So you all agree a golem is suitable to become a postman, said Moist. Suddenly all the faces twisted up as the postman shuffled into a chorus. Well, it's not us, you understand. People can be a bit funny about it. All that stuff about taking jobs away from real people. Nothing against him at all, but... They stopped, because Golem Anghammerad was beginning to speak again. Unlike Mr. Pump, it took him some time to get up to speed, and when his voice arrived, it seemed to be coming from long ago and far away, like the sound of surf in a fossil shell. He said, What is a postman? A messenger, Anghammerad, 
said Miss Dearheart. Moist noticed that she spoke to Golems differently. There was actual tenderness in her voice. "'Gentlemen,' he said to the postman, "'I know you feel—' "'I was a messenger,' Anghamrad rumbled. His voice was not like Mr. Pump's, and neither was his clay. He looked like a crude jigsaw puzzle of different clays, from almost black through red to light grey. Anghamrad's eyes, unlike the furnace glow of those of the other golems, burned a deep ruby red. He looked old. More than that, he felt old. The chill of time radiated off him. On one arm, just above the elbow, was a metal box on a corroded band that had stained the clay. "'Running errands, eh?' said Grote nervously. "'Most recently I delivered the decrees of King Het of Thut,' said Anghamrad. "'Never heard of any King Het,' said Jimmy Tropes. "'I expect that is because the land of Thut slid under the sea nine thousand years ago,' said the golem solemnly. "'So it goes.' "'Blimey! You're nine thousand years old,' said Grote. "'No, I am almost nineteen thousand years old, "'having been born in the fire by the priests of Upsa "'in the threatening of the shaving of the goat. "'They gave me a voice that I might carry messages. "'Of such things is the world made.' "'I never heard of them either,' said Tropes. "'Upsa was destroyed by the explosion of Mount Shiputu.' I spent two centuries under a mountain of pumice before it eroded, whereupon I became a messenger for the fishermen kings of the Holy Ult. It could have been worse. You must have seen lots of things, sir, said Stanley. The glowing eyes turned to him, lighting up his face. Sea urchins. I have seen many sea urchins. And... Sea cucumbers and the dead ships sailing. Once there was an anchor, all things pass. How long were you under the sea? said Moist. It was almost nine thousand years. You mean you just sat there? said Aggie. I was not instructed to do otherwise. I heard the song of the whales above me. It was dark. Then there was a net and rising and light. These things happen. Didn't you find it, well, dull? said Grote. The postman was staring. Dull, said Anghamrad blankly, and turned to look at Miss Dearheart. He has no idea what you mean, she said. None of them have, not even the younger ones. So I expect you'll be keen to deliver messages again then, said Moist, far more jovially than he'd intended. The golem's head turned towards Miss Dearheart again. "'Keen,' said Anghamrad. She sighed. "'Another tough one, Mr. Moist. It's as bad as dull. The closest I can come is, you will satisfy the imperative to perform the directed action?' "'Yes,' said the golem. "'The messages must be delivered. That is written on my hem.' "'And that's the scroll in his head that gives a golem his instructions?' said Miss Dearheart. "'In Anghamrad's case, it's a clay tablet. They didn't have paper in those days.' "'You really used to deliver messages for kings?' said Grote. "'Many kings,' said Anghamrad. "'Many empires, many gods, many gods, all gone, all things go.' The golem's voice got deeper, as if he was quoting from memory. 
Neither deluge nor ice storm nor the black silence of the nether hells shall stay these messengers about their sacred busyness. Do not ask us about saber-toothed tigers, tar pits, big green things with teeth, or the goddess Kazol. You had big green things with teeth back then, said Tropes. Bigger, greener, more teeth, rumbled Anghamrad. And the goddess Kazol, said Moist. Do not ask. There was a thoughtful silence. Moist knew how to break it. And you will decide if he is a postman, he said softly. The postman went into a brief huddle, and then Grote turned back to Moist. He's a postman and a half, Mr Lipvig. We never knew. The lads say, well, it'd be an honour, sir, an honour to work with him, I mean. It's like, it's like history, sir. It's like, well, I always said the order goes back a long way, didn't I? Said Jimmy Tropes, aglow with pride. There was postman back in the dawn of time. When they is, we've got a member who goes all that way back. The other secret societies are going to be as, as green as, as, as... Something big with teeth, Moist suggested. Right, and no problem with his chums neither, if they can take orders, said Grote generously. Thank you, gentlemen, said Moist. And now all that remains, he nodded to Stanley, who held up two big tins of royal blue paint, is their uniform. By general agreement, Anghamrad was given the unique rank of extremely senior postman. It seemed fair. End of CD 5